Welcome in, guys. Uh, it's me flying solo to start here tonight, but it's uh, Thursday, June 17th, 2021. And uh, we have a really, really interesting interview tonight. Uh, we did have to film it last night, so you'll see I'll be wearing something different. Um, but uh, our guest tonight is Colorado attorney Heather Mitchell. Now, I wanted to have Heather on because she has a very, very unique background. So not only is she married to a single father who has been through the system, um, she has a very traveled background as an attorney. She's a former public defender, federal public defender, and she has actually presided over cases as a judge for two tribes in the Western United States. Now her practice primarily consists of family law and over 80% of the cases that she has, she represents men. And like I said, she has a very, very, very unique um, background in terms of perspective from her husband and from her time as a public defender and being on the bench. So this interview was recorded last night. Uh, so I got my phone out. I'm gonna be very, very active in the chat tonight. Still drop your questions. Once the video gets done, um, I will hop back on and I can answer a few questions before uh, we end the episode for this week. So uh, now I'll turn it over and it'll be an interview with myself and Colorado attorney, Heather Mitchell. All right, Heather, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, so uh, you're coming to us from uh, Colorado Springs tonight? Actually Monument, uh, between Monument. Colorado Springs and Denver. Okay, awesome, awesome. So we'll go ahead, we're gonna hop right into our first topic for tonight. And that topic's gonna be, what do we got going on in terms of laws in Colorado? So those of you that have watched us every week know I always like to cite the National Parenting Organization's uh, state grades. So third week in a row, we have a C. So the state of Colorado grades out as a C on their scale. And to give some context, there are about 25 states, or there are 25 states in the 2019 survey that have a C minus, C or C plus. So Colorado falls firmly kind of on the fence in terms of not good, not bad, in terms of equal and shared parenting laws. Um, the biggest negative is there's no statutory preference or presumption of shared parenting. And there, the statutes do not explicitly provide for shared parenting, specifically during temporary orders. So Heather, you're on the ground during um, in court in Colorado. Um, what What's your take on the laws and how do they actually play out in the courtroom? Well, I would agree with you as far as temporary orders. Um, unfortunately, a big part of the problem here in Colorado, I would say is that the pockets right now are really overloaded. So when you're looking at a temporary orders hearing, I'll be lucky if I get 20, 25 minutes to present my side. Judges typically set the entire hearing for an hour. Um, I do think it gets a little better as we get towards permanent orders. Uh, I do think that while it's not statutory, I think most judges here do strive for 50-50. That's what, you know, that's what people hear. That's what we say all the time. People want to see at, you know, 50-50 custody. Um, that's the perfect world. Sometimes it's hard to get there. I'm not gonna lie. Um, you know, the other thing in Colorado, um, so the basically, I'll break it down the way it works in Colorado. We do, when you're dealing with custody matters, it's either going to be part of a dissolution of marriage or what we call an APR, 
which is an allocation of parental responsibility or parental rights. Um, so you're going to look at, you're going to have an initial status conference, which usually is not even with a judge. You're going to get set for certain deadlines. Mediation is absolutely required in Colorado. Um, it's very hard to get out of the mediation requirement. Uh, then you've got temporary orders and permanent orders, and that's pretty much it. So one thing I was aware of that I actually really like about Colorado is their terminology around child custody. Mm -hmm. So the parental responsibility. So do you see that compared to, I know you, you've been really all over the country practicing law. Do you see that making an impact, just the terminology? I do. I, I the, You know, the fact that we talk about parenting time, we don't talk about custody really. Um, we, it's about time spent with your children. Um, and that's what it should focus on. And really the focus in Colorado courts, statutorily speaking, is supposed to be what is in the best interest of the children. Uh, so obviously, you know, there's different ways to get there and different ways to present your case. But ultimately, that's what the court is to consider is what is in the child's best interest, not the parents, not necessarily what the parents want. But what's best for the kids and and that's what the focus should be yeah definitely yeah, yeah. completely agree with that so where is colorado in terms of the statutes and how they handle domestic violence accusations um, well so colorado goes a step further when we talk about so we've got parenting time which is the actual time spent with your children then we talk about decision making which is separate um, Decision-making is things like religious upbringing. Where are they going to go to school? Who's going to make the decision on whether your child has braces uh, or goes to a dermatologist or whatever? Um, so we break it down into different categories. Where domestic violence comes into play is if there are allegations of domestic violence, a court can say that they can't have joint or shared decision-making and can award, and that's usually where it comes into play, is one person gets all of the decision making because of, and remember, it's allegations of domestic violence. Doesn't have to be a conviction. Yeah, we got something similar uh, talked about on previous episodes. Uh, we got Family Code Section 3044. Um, or it's, uh, it's not beyond reasonable doubt like we find in criminal court. Um, it's exactly. preponderance of the evidence and California actually goes a step further and there's a presumption that the parent found to have uh, that the credible allegations are against should not have any sort of legal or physical custody. They essentially go straight to a limited visitation. Um, well, so, and so where it comes into play in Colorado is not necessarily the parenting time. So I've had plenty of clients where there have been domestic um, out violence allegations between the parents, but the children haven't been affected. And so I've had judges say, well, you know what, until you get off of probation or, you know, your deferral is finished, I'm not going to order joint decision making, but you're still going to get that parenting time. Um, you just don't have to communicate about decisions, um, but that can change, you know, and I've had cases where the judges have said, okay, you can do a modification and, and we can talk about decision making in a couple years. Um, I've also had judges find that even though there were allegations of domestic violence. They thought that it didn't rise to the level where it would affect decision-making, and they thought that the parents could still make joint decisions together. 
So there, there's quite a bit of judicial discretion. Do you see them err on the side of caution when it comes to those DV allegations? Or do they say, hey, we want we want both parents involved if the children aren't impacted by this domestic violence? Um, it really depends on the judge. And it's very, in Colorado, it's very fact specific. Um, it's going to depend on the type of domestic violence allegations too, uh, whether there's a pattern of domestic violence, you know, is this, maybe it's a one-time incident, something happened, whatever. And, and the reality of Colorado law is anything can be domestic violence. Um, they attach what we call a DV rider. So you can have criminal mischief, for instance, and if uh, you know, the prosecution thinks that it's been done for the reason, um, you know, to intimidate, control, um, something like that, then they can add that domestic violence rider. And so that criminal mischief conviction that now becomes a domestic violence conviction. Gotcha. So we see the criminal courts actually impact what goes on in family courts in Colorado. Yes. Yeah. In some respects. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Is there anything else of kind of note in Colorado in terms of that fathers should be aware of? Um, you know, I don't I don't think so. I, I think for the most part, most judges do a pretty good job. Um, they're you know under Colorado law, they're not supposed to consider the gender at all of the parent as to whether the parent is fit or not. They're supposed to even when kids are young, they're not supposed to. There's no tender age doctrine anything like that that women are, you know, per se better parents. Um, so I, I think that's good, but it, it really is very fact intensive in Colorado. So I think, you know, my advice would be to make sure, um, you know, at least have a consultation with a lawyer um, who can help you organize those facts and present those facts in a way that the judge is gonna listen to. Awesome. Yeah, perfect. And that segues perfectly into we're going to start talking about some legal stuff. So I have an attorney disclaimer. I'm barred in the state of California. Heather's barred in the state of Colorado and I believe Florida as well. Florida as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, nothing we say tonight in regards to our legal opinions should be construed as advice. It's simply educational and nothing can um, nothing is better than being able to talk to a family law attorney in your state. Um, nothing we say or do is going to be should be construed as an attorney client relationship being formed either. We're here to educate you guys tonight and that is it. So moving on to our second topic, you have a very, very interesting background. Um, the criminal defense, the public defender um, aspect of it is probably most interesting to me but that's probably the legal nerd and like what you bring to the table. I think our dads would probably be most intrigued by the fact that you have actually presided over both criminal and family cases as a chief judge of two tribes in the Western United States. Yeah. So what, what did you gain in terms of experience? What, how did that open your eyes in terms of presiding over these cases? Um, you know, it was very eye-opening to see how lawyers behave, number one, um, and just to, you know, learn, okay, and start thinking about why did this argument resonate with me over a different argument. Um, it, it's definitely different sitting up there looking down on people um, and judging people. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's a weighty responsibility, that's what I'll say. 
Yeah. So go, going along the lines of that, you mentioned why, like looking at attorneys, why did they act this way? Why did they do this? What advice or what insights would you have for dads based directly on that experience? So this is another why you should talk to a lawyer and, and hire one if you can. Um, take the emotion out of it, which is really, really, really difficult. Um, I've even represented lawyers in their own cases uh, and, and they have a hard time taking the emotion out of it because um, when you're in it and, and you're that emotional, it's number one, it's, it's hard to see clearly um, because obviously this is the most important thing to you probably ever in your entire life. Um, and so number two, it's, it's hard to focus on facts and you start to focus in on things that uh, might not necessarily be important and i and i say that in quotes because i know to my clients those facts are very important but when i'm looking at it from a legal perspective and how to present it to the court uh, those are facts that the court is not going to um they're either not going to resonate with the court or the court's not going to see it the same way does that make sense 100 i think that's a really good way of putting it i, I put it this way to my clients there are really three pieces to your custody case you have the mental piece of it. That's the most important piece. Mm -hmm. You've got to get that right. That's the emotion. That's dealing with all the emotions and everything you're dealing with internally. And then there's the strategy piece and then it's the execution piece. But exactly. if you don't get that mental side right, you're not going to be able to clearly put together a coherent strategy and there's no way you're going to step in a courtroom and execute on it. So mm -hmm. getting that mental, getting those emotions in check. I always advise guys, I say, hey, you, you can call me and talk to me at any time, but yeah. I, I, go, go find yourself a good therapist. They're, they're much cheaper and they're trained to do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and it is, it's difficult. This is, you know, these are emotional cases. Um, and the reality is at least as far as dissolution is concerned, Colorado is a no fault state. Um, so the judge doesn't care um, about what people care about a lot of times when they're going through a divorce. Um, they just want to hear, facts and law yeah the the telling the guy that it doesn't matter anymore that his uh, wife cheated on him um, yeah it can be very challenging to them yeah. so kind of along those lines outside of that emotional piece sitting on the bench looking down over these presiding over these cases what was the what were some of the most common mistakes you saw men make Mm. Um, you know, probably emotion, number one, um, anger, especially there's a lot of anger. I think, you know, men especially tend to deal with emotion more as anger. Um, you know, whereas women are the ones who are breaking down in court and crying. Um, that said, I will say that for men, it's okay to cry in court. It's okay to show emotion and that you really, really care about your kids. I, I know for a fact that resonates with judges and that they can see that. I mean, judges are human too. Um, so that would probably be number one is, you know, exhibiting any type of anger, you know, especially if someone's making allegations of domestic violence against you. Um, you don't want to, that's, you know, low hanging fruit that, you know, is easy for a judge to grab on and you don't want to do that. Um, I think too, you know, what's really hard for a lot of people is setting aside, um, what they want and really thinking about what's best for the kids, which the reality is you know, what's best for the kids is if everybody can act like adults, get along and all be on the same page and, and raise this wonderful 
human being that you all brought into the world. Um, and that's hard. It is hard um, to put that aside. And, and but I, I do think that I know that resonated with me when I was on the bench and I've seen it, you know, with judges here in Colorado that they can they can see that dad is, you know, taking the steps. And, 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 and you know what? And some of it is red tape and jumping through hoops. But that shows the court that you are making that effort. And I think, you know, that's something a lot of judges want to see is, um, you know what, you might not agree with my order, but you understand that it's an order and you're going to follow it and you're going to make that effort. Um, so I, I, I think that's it. I think also expectations. The, the reality is that these court processes, they're not fast by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and so I think people walk into court and they expect, you know, a lot of times in Colorado, the judge doesn't rule after the hearing. They'll take it under advisement for sometimes weeks at a time. Um, you know, it can take months to get hearings. Um, so I think expectations are part of it to go in there, you know, knowing that this is a marathon um, and not getting discouraged by that. And that there may be, we always say here in Colorado that there are no winners or losers in family law. Nobody, pretty much if you're going to go in front of a judge, no one's going to be happy because the judge is going to do something that is going to make you both angry, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, I, I always tell my clients the same thing, that it's, in, in California, can take anywhere from six weeks to four months, depending on the county, to get a hearing. And the likelihood in that initial hearing, if you get anywhere near what you want, is extremely small. You have to play the long game. And I thought you made another really, really good point. Effort. I always tell my clients, do something. If yeah. the judge sees you're putting in a ton of effort into getting this right, into being the best parent you can be, and doing mm -hmm. all the right things, they're gonna notice that. They may not, it may take some time because they may have 300 cases uh, and on their load right now, they're seeing a, a 80 to 100 cases a week in front of them. But if every three to six months they're seeing you and it's like, you've done something more, you've done better, you've mm -hmm. taken actions to be a better parent, they're gonna start recognizing that pattern, especially if your other, your co-parent isn't taking those steps. Exactly, exactly. And I always tell my clients, you know, let's give the other side enough rope to hang himself. You know, let's do twice what they do. If the judge tells you to take a parenting class, take two. Uh, if the judge says take, you know, a UA a week, take three, <laughs> you know, there's, I think in family law, especially there's no such thing as overkill on something like that. Um, I think judges want people, for the most part, want people to be the best parents that they can. Um, and they want to see that they're taking things seriously. And, and I, and I know, and, and, and you know, as a judge, um, you know, there were times when, I, you know, maybe had some concerns about drug use with somebody. So I'd say, okay, I'm going to put you on UAs. Um, you know, here's what I want you to do. Get an evaluation, come back in 60 days. And, you know, and then there were people who would, oh, that's stupid. I don't have a problem. I'm not doing any of that. Well, if you don't have a problem, I understand that, you know, this might seem stupid to you at the time, but I don't know you. And that's the reality is the judge doesn't know you. And so sometimes you do have to go a little further to convince them that, hey, I don't have a drug problem. I am not this monster this person is painting me at to be, and I'm gonna show this to you, Judge, because I know you don't know me. Yeah, yeah, they, they see you. You mentioned, 
you mentioned hour long hearings out here, short form hearings, you may get five minutes, you may get 15 minutes. Um, if you get 45 minutes total, I think I've had one of those, I've seen one of those ever go that long. I mean, it's, they don't, they don't get to know you. And that's why a lot of times yeah. in California, they rely on third parties. They bring third parties in to get to know the situation. I want to roll back to something you mentioned, because I think it's something that is kind of a debate amongst fathers. And I see a lot in the Facebook groups and different things. So the other side set a strategy to paint you as a monster, that mm -hmm. you're an incapable parent. You've never been a good father. You drink, you do drugs. And in reality, you would drink beer socially and you smoked weed a handful of times. We're both in states where it's legal. <laughs> we'll, we'll get, we'll cover that a little bit later. Um, but uh, what would be your advice to fathers when you know the strategy of the other side, what they're going to try to do in terms of being proactive around parenting classes, therapy, um, getting drug tests done? So, I mean, I think that there, like you said, all of those things are things you can do to be proactive. Um, and the biggest thing is don't take the bait. Because um, it is in some respects there, you know, people can only take so much hearing, you know, I'm such a bad guy. I'm, I'm so awful. I'm this monster before there's an anger that comes out. I mean, it's human nature, um, but you can't do that. You can't buy into it. You can't become the person they're trying to make you be, if that makes sense. Um, but there are things you can do. You can do, you know, if the allegations are alcohol use, Sign up for something like Soberlink or BAC Track um, and monitor your own breathalyzer testing. Um, you know, hair follicle testing are things you can do. Things that you know are going to come up in court, and then you know you get to that temporary orders hearing, and she's saying, "Oh, he, you know, he's an alcoholic. Um, he uses drugs all the time." And you can say, "Oh, judge, oh, I have a hair, I took a hair follicle test. I've been on Soberlink. Um, things like that." Um, I always tell people too, especially when there are domestic violence allegations, allegations of, you know, just any kind of general nastiness. As soon as your case starts, start using something like talking parents, uh, which monitors communication. And, and so what it does is it creates a record of your communications. It's like, I want to say online, it's like $7 a month to sign up for an account. Um, but it's a transcript that will be admitted in court. Text messages can be manipulated. Emails can be manip manipulated. Talking parents can't. And use talking parents like you know it's going to be read in court because it likely will, and that's the purpose of it. So we can say, judge, look at this. Look at these communications. He was perfectly polite asking questions about the children, uh, and she's the one who went off on him and started calling him names and getting personally nasty. Yeah, you, you got to act like you're going to get a bad reading. I, I tell people all the time, yeah. you, you should be so un, you should be uncomfortable. You should feel like you're being uncomfortably nice in that <laughs> message before you hit send, because they're going to try to take that one word and that that opposing counsel is going to try to read it in a way that makes it sound like you were screaming at the top of your lungs on the longest rant in the world about mm -hmm. how long a parent they are in front of the children. Yep. And the good thing about talking parents too is it shows when the other person has read and there's other ones out there there's civil communicator you know i'm not sponsored by talking parents i think it's just one of the cheapest um but it shows when the other person has read the message so i've had cases where you know dad's sending messages saying hey can i just take kids to dinner mom sees it doesn't respond 
you know, dad sends about, hey, I, I can see that you saw this. Can we work something out? We can do it. You know, dad's being great and obviously asking for time and mom's the one ignoring it. And that puts up me as an attorney. I can go into court and say, why is mom ignoring this? Persistently kind. Correct. You got yeah. you, you can't you can't say it once and then let it go three, five months and not say anything or try to correct it. That's that's exactly. probably the biggest mistake I see men make. They mm -hmm. wait months before uh, before they do anything about it. Yeah. And, you know, and I do think it's unfortunate in our society that, you know, in a lot of families, it is the woman who's spending more time with the kids, who's going to the doctor's appointments, um, you know, who's doing the school stuff. And, and that's because she's the one staying at home and dad's out working um, to provide for this family. And, and so, you know, I think you know, the more years that go by, I start to see judges more and more recognizing that, that it's not that the dads don't want to spend time with their kids. It's that, you know, they had a mortgage. Mom wanted a Cadillac um, and nice vacations. So, you know, it's a, it is in some respects, men are on, dads are on, you know, they're already having to go uphill from the beginning. But again, like we just talked about, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint and there might be some battles that you lose. That doesn't mean you're going to lose the war. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a great, so we're going to take a quick commercial break here and we'll be right back with a couple more topics. You love your, you love your children and want them to have everything. How about both parents? Introducing equal shared parenting benefits program. The program is very simple. Sign up, download the app, access services. Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program offers access to medical market, telemedicine, mental wellness, medical bill negotiation and advocacy, chronic care, and a wellness savings program with membership add-ons available soon, like prepaid legal services, prepaid college savings plans, prepaid identity theft protection services, and much more. Annual memberships starting at just $25 a month through Father's Day. Here's what our members say about us. You guys are a huge blessing in my life. This community is amazing. I truly thank you for all that you do. Learn more and sign up at www.tfrm.org. Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program. It's about the children. They're today and they're tomorrow. All right, welcome back. Uh, I'm excited now to get into more of the strategy and the courtroom execution uh, because as a, a public defender, you've probably just about at this point seen and heard it all. So with, with your, yeah, I, I think only the lawyers fully understand what you've probably seen and heard. Um, from, with that criminal defense background um, from early in your career, um, what, what kind of perspective does it give you where you've obviously defended people where they potentially could lose years of their lives in prison versus say defending a father against a very tenuous domestic violence allegation. <laughs> well, you know, in some respects being a public defender was easier on that front because you had, you know, beyond into the exclusion of every reasonable doubt and you just don't get that in family court. Um, preponderance of the evidence, um, is the standard, you know, I've heard judges say, well, you know, I think this is credible. So, and that's frustrating. It's, it's frustrating um, because, 
you know, obviously losing your kids is awful. I, I mean, I think, in fact, I know I, I've had clients who would rather go to jail than lose their kids. Um, so that part of it is frustrating. Um, you know, as far as people testifying, preparation is key. I, I can't say that enough. Um, doing whatever you need to do to make sure that you're staying calm, make sure that you're being factual again, um, that you're not taking the bait. It's really easy, especially when, you know, I see pro se parties. Um, it's really easy and they get to cross-examine their spouse um, or their, you know, significant other, the child, you know, mother or father of their child. It's really hard not to want to go in for the jugular, but that it just doesn't play well in court. Um, not in front of juries, not in front of judges. Uh, the more professional you can be about it, uh, the more you can listen. That's something I actually had a conversation recently with a client and um, we talked about that really listening is kind of a lost art. People just go up there and they ask their questions and they're already looking at the next question before they're getting the answer. Listen to the answer. Uh, take your time in court. Judges, you know, obviously when we're talking about a temporary orders hearing where you've got 20 minutes, that's a little harder. But when we're looking at you know, the permanent orders hearing where you may have a full day, take your time. Absolutely take your time. Uh, one really great thing about Colorado is that the Colorado revised uh, and annotated statutes are online. So you can pull up the statute and get all of the most current case law for free through Lexis. So um, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that can definitely be a big resource for especially a pro se litigant that mm -hmm. is dealing with these statutes isn't, I think as an attorney, one of the things you get to hear is you just get to listen to the other attorney's arguments. I like yeah. that. I don't like that. You hear that on a regular basis. You see their briefs as a pro mm -hmm. se litigant, educating yourself on exactly what you're trying to prove and yeah. being able to take this evidence is going to help me or this question and this answer is going to help me prove that. And, this piece over here is just me taking a shot at my. Yeah. And, and for people who don't know, the annotated statute means that. So if you have a provision in the statute, when you scroll to the very bottom underneath the statute, it'll have the annotations and it will tell you every single case from the Colorado Supreme Court, Colorado Court of Appeals that has discussed that provision. And so it will tell you, you know, that a court um, was wrong in restricting a parent's parenting time because of this or that the court should have looked at this factor and they didn't. So those are things, you know, you can use to your advantage by and, and judges love that because they they're busy. And so if you can tell a judge, you know, a judge, I want to look, I want you to look at in Ray, you know, whatever. And here's the citation. Oh, you know, judges start bringing out their pens so that they can go look up that case later, too. Box them in. Box them in with exactly. precedent. Yeah. Well, when I was at the public defender's office, we used to call it closing doors. You close the doors around the prosecution. Yeah. So I think that that segues perfectly into, I guess, step two of what I talked about previously. You have the mental aspect. And now I think probably the most important role an attorney plays is building out the strategy. Mm -hmm. So we'll start out with when a father walks into your office and they sit down across from you, from you at your desk, or I guess over the last year via Zoom, 
what do you wish they knew before they sat down in that seat? Um, just be honest. I want to know everything, the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, even if it's something that you think is going to make you look like a bad person, I, I'm not there to judge you. I am there to help you. And I can't be your advocate unless I know everything that could possibly come into play. And I'd rather have somebody tell me more than tell me less so that I know, okay, so if I have somebody who comes into my office and they say, you know what, she's going to accuse me of doing drugs. And I say, well, do you? I, I, I want to hear yes or no. And I want you to be honest so that if the answer is yes, I can immediately start taking steps. Okay, this is what we need to do to mitigate it, you know, make sure so that she might think she's got this huge bomb she can use against you, but we want to defuse it ahead of time. Uh, so when we walk into court, she doesn't have it anymore. Yeah, we, um, we want to know the bad facts. We want absolutely. to know those because we can build the strategy around those. Exactly. Yeah, I want to know exactly what I'm dealing with. Um, exactly, yeah, like you said, the bad facts. I want to know them and know that everything you tell an attorney, even if you go in for a free consultation, that's confidential. An attorney can't reveal that. So you're in a, a place where you can be absolutely 100% honest about, hey, maybe these are some mistakes I made in my past, but this is what I've done, you know, and this is what, and also what you want. Um, that's something, sometimes it's, you know, hard to pin people down because they haven't really thought about, you know, what do you want? And is it feasible? Um, you know, if you want week on week off, okay, what is your living situation? Uh, because that's something a judge is going to look at. Or yeah. if we have a child and family investigator, which we use a lot in Colorado, um, and they're appointed by the court to do investigations on what is in the best interest of the child. And they come up with a report and they submit it to the court and the court, I would say 99% of the time is going to follow the CFI's recommendations. So, yeah. but those are all things the court is going to look at. So start thinking about that. You know, if you work the night shift, um, you know, what's your plan as far as having your kids? Are you going to have a daycare? Uh, you know, how would that work? Things like that. Really? What do you want? And tell me the good, bad and the ugly. Yeah, I got two points on that. One of the most expensive mistakes that a client makes is not disclosing all of the bad facts. Mm -hmm. And then you draft up a declaration, you build out a strategy, they get a little bit more comfortable with you. And then all of a sudden they start talking a lot more and it's like, okay, what we planned isn't going to work anymore. Yeah, exactly. And cooperation too. I, I mean, that's something that, you know, pay attention to, uh, emails from your lawyer or their paralegal um, because at least in Colorado here it's all of these um, it's very document heavy a lot of financial documents that need to be disclosed we typically do written discovery in cases um, so pay attention to that even if you're a pro se litigant and that's one thing too Colorado holds pro se litigants to the same standard as attorneys so you are going to be expected to know the rules um, know what has to be disclosed, know what the deadlines are, and it is all available online, um, but you are expected to know it. So that's something to remember as well. Yeah, now I'll make one last point on something you said, and it's actually come up all the, the, the last three weeks now. One of the strongest privileges that exists is the attorney-client privilege. Mm -hmm. So it's not like if you come in for a consultation or let's say you retain the attorney and then you decide to go in a different direction. 
we can't go tell your spouse. We can't go tell opposing counsel. We can't go, we can't go around town talking about it. Exactly. It has to stay in that office. Mm -hmm. And I thought I, Joseph Emmerich from Illinois was on last week and he, he put it very succinctly. Um, I don't care about your case enough to lose my law license. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I worked really hard and paid a lot of money for this license. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now we're moving on to, we talked about getting the bad facts out of there. And I use, I use in strategy, I use a football analogy. I find that most guys, uh, work really well with that. I know your, your husband, um, is, is a football coach, yep. but I talk about like, we have to scout offensively. You, we have to scout your defense. We have to mm -hmm. scout the opponent's offense and defense. And we have to look at, Hey, what audibles are we going to need to put in place in case we need to use them? Yeah. So, and, and, and be upfront about it from the beginning, because we are thinking strategy from the first time you step into our office. Okay. This is what we need to do. These are the types of hearings that we're going to have to set. Did I just freeze? Oh, okay. You know, they, they from day one, I'm already thinking, you know, okay, if we end up at permanent orders, this is what we're going to need. And a lot of the disclosure requirements in Colorado, we're disclosing witnesses well before we go to trial. We're disclosing exhibits well before we go to trial. Um, and we're thinking, so in Colorado, you have to file what's called a joint, joint trial management certificate typically seven days before the trial itself. We're, we start drafting that on day one. We start, you know, anytime, okay, this fact, okay, let's let's start doing this. And, and those are all your positions, all, and then you incorporate the case law in that as well. And that's something that the judge is gonna read several times before you even go to hearing. So you want it laid out in such a way that there are things that are the judge is gonna remember. Oh, I remember, you know, Ms. Mitchell brought up that statute or that case law that's applicable here. And now I'm listening to that testimony that ties it all together. So, yeah, so I, I mean, that's not, um, and, and that's something that I've had issues with sometimes is people, you know, the three days before trial, oh, I forgot to tell you. Yeah, no. <laughs> I need to know as soon as possible. And the more, the better. We always tell our clients, tell us too much. Tell us, uh, give us too many documents. I'd rather have more and let me sort through what is important as far as our strategy um, than, than not have enough. Yeah, because I mean, as attorneys, judges having so many cases, we're really looking for three to five key points that we're going to just continue to hammer home. Mm -hmm. And we want to do that from the first hearing. We want that. We want a pattern to develop in a judge's mind around the case. And if you don't disclose things to us, whether they're good, they're bad, if it's bad and all of a sudden that's one of our three main pillars we're arguing in terms of getting you what you want, all of a sudden, like that's just knocked down at the last second when we've tried to build this pattern in the judge's mind. And the mm -hmm. other way around, if you give us something you thought didn't matter, then we find out three days beforehand, it's really limited what we're able to do with that piece of information. Exactly, exactly. Um, because then you gotta remember too, for attorneys, there are rules about when, you know, I can't walk into court and blindside the other side with some piece of evidence without a really, really good reason. Because the judge is gonna say to me, why didn't you disclose this 30 days ago like when you were supposed to? Um, so you gotta keep that in mind too. And, and that comes down to communication too. Um, I, I hear horror stories from people where they, you know, hire an attorney and then don't hear from them for months. Um, that 
remember your attorney works for you. So, you know, not, you know, and, and I get it, attorneys are busy, but it takes, you know, five minutes to respond to an email. Um, so, and, and most attorneys, I have two paralegals that are fantastic. And I always tell my clients, when you email me, CC my paralegals too, so that if they can't answer the question, they're calling me or texting me saying, hey, did you respond to this email? Yeah, definitely. That's something I think you see more frequently in family law. And I, I haven't put my finger on why is there are just some attorneys who aren't necessarily as responsive. And, and that may be a sign early on that maybe you need to go in a different direction. Yeah, exactly. And, and like I said, your attorney works for you. And, and we are busy. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie in Colorado. I'm setting hearings right now for mostly January and February. Um, so that's how busy we are here for uh, setting for final orders. Um, but really, there's no excuse that someone in the office can't get back to you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So on, on the last piece on the case strategy, and we've talked pretty in depth about it. So what are, what are your, some tips that you would give represented fathers in terms of working with their attorney to build the strategy? And then also the pro se dads that are trying to do it on their own. So, well, as far as represented people, um, you know, it can be hard to let go of control to somebody, um, you know, and I think that's where communication and a good rapport with your attorney comes into play, uh, where you can talk to your attorney and say, hey, these are the goals I'm trying to achieve. Um, how do we get there? But, you know, if your attorney says, well, this is the case law and this is what, um, then, you know, in some respects, you do have to defer to your attorney because that's why you hired them is for their educa education and expertise. Um, you know, I think something too, I'm starting to see sort of here in Colorado is, you know, you do get attorneys sometimes that dabble into family law. In my opinion, family law isn't something you dabble with. Um, you either do it primarily or you don't because, um, you know, things are changing. There are always laws that affect things, at least here in Colorado. Um, so you need to know what you're talking about and need to know the most current case law. Um, as far as pro se people, you know, obviously it's a little more difficult, but again, you know, like I said before, recognize that you are going to be held to the standard of an attorney. Um, so you do need to make sure that you know the rules. You need to make sure that you know that there are certain deadlines for filing things, um, that there are certain, for instance, in Colorado, we have to confer. Um, so, and that means before you file pretty much anything, uh, you have to reach out to the other side and say, hey, I'm going to file this motion. Um, what's your position? And you have to put that in your motion because that's something I see pro se people get hung up on all the time. Um, and judges don't appreciate that because there's a reason for that is to see if there's something you can work out instead of just inundating the court, which is why we're setting in January and February right now. Um, so know the rules. Um, you know, that's a big thing. Know the case law, do your research. Um, and, you know, I, I think to always bounce ideas off of people and see how it sounds, um, people that you trust. Um, because like I said, judges are human. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, I'll bounce stuff off, you know, me and my husband, like, hey, if, you know, in this theoretical situation, um, how does this argument sound? Does this make sense? And he, you know, he can tell me from a layperson's standpoint, which I, because I feel like if a, a, another layperson understands what you're saying and it's clear, then a judge is going to understand it as well. 
Um, so, and, and practice your arguments too. A lawyer still, I, I still practice, you know, in my head, write stuff down, bullet points. Um, this is what I want to argue to see how it sounds. And that's another thing too. I see pro se, pro se people come in with written questions and they're just beholden to those. You know, you know the case better than anybody. Come in with bullet points, be, have some flexibility, but remain calm um, and, and get the facts across because that's what the judge is looking at, facts and law. Yeah, Pre uh, preparation piece. I I'm always a big fan of having that one sheeter that it's, okay, we got, this is the purpose of the hearing, this is what we're gonna argue. Here's the strengths, here's the weaknesses, here's their strengths, here's their weaknesses. They're probably gonna argue this, we may need to call this audible, it's right there all on one page. Exactly, and also, you know, the big thing, um, no things like hearsay. It gets thrown around on TV all the time. Doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means. You know, I think some attorneys, you know, in all honesty, some attorneys don't understand what hearsay is. But so no, you know, if you come in with this stack of exhibits that, you know, you might not necessarily have to or be able to just hand them to the judge, you're going to be expected to lay foundations and make sure that they comply with the rules of evidence um, at least here in Colorado. Um, also have copies for everybody, copies for the judge, copy for the other attorney, um, share things ahead of time. Uh, I see a lot of pro se people come in with you know, a stack of documents that I haven't seen. And the first thing of course as an attorney I'm gonna do is object because that hasn't been shared with me. Some judges will say, okay, we'll take a brief recess, share that with her. Um, and some judges will say, you know what, you didn't share it so you don't get to use it. And that, that again comes down to knowing the rules, which again, even you know, if you can't maybe afford an attorney, there are things you can hire an attorney uh, typically at a lower rate to do what we call you know, in Colorado a rule 11, where we might draft the pleadings for you. Um, we'll help you with you know, strategy and things like that, but we don't actually go to court with you, but we'll tee you up for court. Um, and so that's something you can talk to an attorney about doing at a lower rate. Yeah, and I think the big thing litigants, you have to realize all the rules of the courts are designed that nothing's a surprise when you step in front of the judge to either party. Exactly. So being afraid of reaching out to opposing counsel and saying, what's your position on this? Or sending them the documents ahead of time, your, your rules of civil procedure in each state and depending on the type of hearing will lay out exactly how many days you're supposed to get opposing party those documents. Everything's designed to not be a surprise. Exactly. And to be honest, if you're gonna, if it's gonna be pro se litigant versus an attorney and we're just gonna make a bunch of surprises, it's just gonna be whatever goes, the attorney's probably gonna win just because a lot of family law stuff works on pattern. Mm -hmm. It's gonna go A or B and we know that and you have no idea. Yep. So now we'll move on to the next piece of it. You've built out your strategy and now we're ready to step in the courtroom. So I think we, we covered it a little bit earlier, but testifying plays such a huge role, whether it's the judge is just asking you questions and you're sitting down by your attorney or whether you're actually getting up on the stand and answering some questions from opposing counsel who's probably gonna to try to needle you and get a reaction out of you. What are, what are some tips and tricks and advice you give to dads that 
when they know they're going to have to go up on the stand or you know it's a judge who is just going to turn and ask the party themselves a question? Most of the judges here don't ask questions of the litigants. They let the attorneys and the parties handle that. Um, every once in a while, you might get a judge jump in, but at least here, it's going to be mostly either your attorney questioning you, or if it's someone who's pro se, the judge is going to have you take the stand and give a statement, essentially. Um, so the big thing is, again, you know, know the rules. Don't start talking about things that someone else told you unless it's the other party because the other what the other party has told you can come in but what other people have told you outside of court you know my, my son's therapist told me this that's going to be especially if you're up against an attorney it's going to be objected to as hearsay and it's probably going to be upheld and sustained so um don't put yourself in that situation so make sure you know that you have something prepared and again that comes down to bullet points your theme um, what you want, you know, what you've set up, what you want the judge to know. Um, a lot of it's preparation. Um, and then, you know, think of it personally, what you need to do to remain calm. Um, you know, I always tell my clients, think of the big picture, because you know she's going to try to um, provoke a reaction, because her argument throughout has been that you're this, you know, angry, hostile person. And so you know that. So think of the big picture. Think of your kids. Um, don't buy into that reaction. Just stay, do whatever you need to do to stay calm. You know, some people have certain hand things or whatever. Um, stay calm and be prepared. Uh, and if you have an attorney, they should be prepping you for hearing. They should be talking to you. Okay, these are the questions I'm going to ask you. These are the exhibits I'm going to show you. Um, and be prepared with that too. That's, you know, if you're a pro se litigant and you're up there giving your statement, what exhibits do you want to introduce as part of your testimony? And have those exhibits marked and prepared and have extra copies. You want one copy for the judge and one copy for opposing counsel. Yeah, I had a mentor and I, I still use it to this day, um, really in any interaction I have. But he always used to say, when you're in those tense situations, before you speak, it's in through your nose, out through your mouth. Breathe yeah. in through your nose for a four count and then a slow, deep breath out before you start to speak. Gather exactly. your take, And when someone asks you a question, take a pause, take a moment, think about number one, what they've asked you. And that's a big thing you see on the stand. You know, you get asked, someone gets asked a yes or no question and they go, yes, but, and they go off on this whole tangent. The answer should be yes. Yes or no if it's a yes or no question um and that's where people get into trouble because they start elaborating and then it becomes this whole back and forth um and you can avoid that if you just take a moment listen to the question and then answer yeah yep that that's that's definitely a big one i think with men more than women um needing to explain yeah when they haven't asked for an explanation and it's only going to make you look worse Yep, exactly. Whereas women I see with arms crossed, yes. <laughs> that or the waterworks. Um, <laughs> That's a whole separate show. <laughs> yes. All right. So we got some questions um, that I have pulled from uh, my DM. So thanks to all the viewers that dropped some questions. Uh, I, I know I announced last week it was going to be Colorado. And um, we got a couple questions that are specific to Colorado or at least 
-hmm. you probably get as well. So the first one, let's talk about weed. So we are <laughs> both in states where weed is legal. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've, I've gotten it twice this week where either in consultation or a client or whatever it may be, even just in conversation with someone who, who thinks they're going to be maybe going through a situation where they ask the question, does it matter if I can't pass a drug test that would include marijuana? So it depends on the situation and it's going to depend on your history. Um, you know, obviously marijuana isn't known for causing a lot of violent offenses. Um, but you know, there are situations where a, a judge might order alcohol testing. Alcohol is also legal. So think of marijuana like alcohol. That's how we think of it here. So if it's someone who's had, you know, a demonstrated pattern of substance abuse that has led to all kinds of issues, the likelihood is a judge is going to say you shouldn't be taking anything. Um, if it's a situation where, you know, maybe you've got, you know, medical reasons for taking marijuana, get that in writing from a doctor, get a red card, get a prescription, um, you know, because that changes things. If you have a doctor saying, well, he, you know, he needs to take this marijuana for her, his anxiety or, you know, nausea or something, um, that's different. And, and it's easier to go in front of a judge and say, judge, I don't, you know, I don't use this. I take an edible at night. I'm not, you know, doing this during the day. Um, but yeah, th I think, think of it as alcohol, but it really is, again, a lot of Colorado is very, very fact specific. Yeah. I'll hear, I guess it's something that's a little bit newer. And I, I always, it always tends to be individuals who there may be some substance abuse allegations in the past. Mm -hmm. And yeah. a lot of times if that's the case, it's like, Hey, there's a chance they're going to order that hair follicle test. Let's go ahead and be safe. And like, if they, if the judge asks and I, can I confidently say, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, and it can make it a lot easier, especially if, there is the documented substance abuse issues in the past. Like, remove that. You know that's going to be argument 1A for mm -hmm. your co-parent. So let's yep. go ahead and let's just remove that. They're going to lead with it. And then, hey, do we walk in with a hair follicle test or do we say, yeah, judge, we'll do that right now. Like, he'll leave yeah. here and he'll go get it done right now. And, and the reality is what I've seen here is most judges will say, okay, yeah, I'll order a hair follicle test for him and I'm going to order one for you too. So if they're going to do it for one, they're typically going to do both. So that's something to keep in mind. But I, I mean, Colorado, I'm not going to lie, especially the metro areas, Colorado Springs, Denver, they're pretty relaxed when it comes to marijuana, no pun intended. Um, but, you know, you got to think of it as alcohol. So it'd, it'd be the same thing if, if someone walks into court and they've got a demonstrated history of alcohol, they've got a bunch of DUIs, judge might put you on soberly. Um, marijuana is no different. So think of it like that. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a good way. Very judge dependent too. If mm -hmm. you end up with the eighty-year-old that's been on the bench for thirty <laughs> years that hasn't looked at the family code for fifteen years, they they may they may come they bring may bring the hammer down on you like exactly. they would have fifteen twenty years ago. Yeah, where, where if you get the judge in Denver where shrooms are legal now, um, they're probably not going to care. <laughs> it just depends. Um, yeah, that's uh. We're bringing back memories to me right now um, from uh, just the stories we can tell. Um, but uh, okay, so we'll move on to the next one. So this is a very, very common one. And this one was actually asked Colorado specific. I'll address California after you address Colorado. 
but uh, what do I do if my co-parent is refusing my visitation in violation of the court order? Okay, so we have a court order in place and they're refusing in violation. So in Colorado, you have two different avenues you can take. You can file the contempt, which a lot of people do and people come into my office, I want to file for contempt. I am not a big fan of contempt and here's why. In Colorado, because it's quasi-criminal, um, when you file for contempt, the court is going to first review the motion. They're going to decide whether or not they want to issue the contempt citation. Um, I've had it take, you know, a matter of days or several weeks before that gets issued. Once that gets issued, you have to have it served on the other party. Then, and there are time frames for when you have to have it served. The court is going to set it for an initial appearance, basically where they're going to read them their rights and explain it to them. Then you're likely going to be set for mediation. And then maybe six to eight months from now, you might get a hearing on it. But it seems to depend on the county. Some judges will appoint the public defender. Other counties won't. What's the penalty in Colorado? on contempt it can be up to six months in jail gotcha but i have yet to see anybody go to jail i'll be honest with you another reason not a big fan of contempt so under colorado law you can also file a um it's a called a parenting time dispute and it's under 1410 129.5 and if you look at that statute it has very firm deadlines in place where a court has to either, if they think that there is a legitimate issue, um, they can make a ruling and they, or they can set it for hearing. A lot of times that forces judges to set it for hearing and they'll, they have to set it, I believe it's within 35 days. So it keeps it on a very short leash where you're likely gonna get a hearing much faster than you would on a contempt. And here's the great thing about 129.5 is if when you get to hearing, the judge finds that that person should be in contempt, they can still hold them in contempt. So it's still a remedy. There's a list of remedies available to the judge, um, including contempt, including, you know, they could have to uh, pay bonds to the state um, in case there are future violations. Uh, it also gives the judge to, the power to modify a parenting plan. So let's say, you know, mom's been withholding the child, withholding the child, not adhering, and you know, dad only has every other weekend. A judge can look at her and say, "Well, if you're if you're going to do this, then I'm going to give him more time. I'm going to modify this parenting plan." Um, so, Colorado. Yep. So, my office, I'll be honest, we rarely file file contempts anymore. We file one twenty nine point five motions. Yeah, that sounds like uh, it's really a no brainer in terms of. Uh, benefit to the client because those contempts when it becomes that quasi criminal um there's a lot more rules that we'll say get followed when when that gets drug into play exactly and also when you go to court on a contempt and if you're asking so colorado has two types of contempt either remedial or punitive uh remedial is obviously you're asking the judge to fix something to do something make it right um, and punitive is where the jail time comes into play. Remedial is preponderance of the evidence. Punitive is beyond a reasonable doubt. So you're acting essentially as a prosecutor. So the 129.5, like I said, I, I, I file them all day. <laughs> yeah, see, that seems like, uh, seems like Colorado is uh, very progressive in uh, 
some of the, the laws they've implemented in terms of the parenting responsibility instead of talking about custody and visitation, knowing that following the order is going to be a major issue and creating an avenue to handle it that isn't winding through what usually happens with the contempt process. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're, we're closing in on an hour here. So I want to, don't want to take up too much of your time tonight. So um, I, I want to get asked one last question. So in terms of for, for all our viewers, most of them are going to be fathers or, or people in the support system um, of, of a father going or a father or their son or their new significant other, whoever it may be. What advice would you give to a father who may be just starting out or one that's been maybe in the process for two, three years? Um, what advice would you give them to help move forward in a positive direction? Uh, you know, just hang in there. I, I do think that the truth comes out eventually. Um, you know, like I said, I've said a couple times, this is not a quick process, it's a marathon. Um, and the reality with, you know, here in Colorado, you can reopen if there's a, you know, change in circumstance, there's lots of reasons that you can reopen custody, um, parenting time, not custody. Uh, so there's, you know, it's a long road. So I think number one, take care of yourself first, um, you know, because you can't be a good parent unless you are good to yourself. Um, and then, you know, no, other than that, think of the best interest of your kids. What is in your kids' best interest? Um, and just don't give up. You know, don't stop fighting. Um, it's hard. There's a bureaucracy. There is. There's a process. Like we talked about earlier, there's all these rules. Um, but don't give up. And, and seek the advice of an attorney whenever you can. Lots of attorneys give free consultations. Take advantage of that. Um, take advantage of the resources online. Um, but, you know, that said, the, the legitimate resources, um, you know, be careful because I've seen some just outrageously wrong information um, sometimes in comments. You know, lots of attorneys give free consultations. Go get one. Your, your husband and I have had that conversation about the Facebook groups. A lot, a lot of Google lawyers when there's there's free one hour consultations where you can yep. you can go talk to someone who's who's been in the trenches and has seen what actually happens. Yep. And I know lawyers that'll, you know, write up the strategy. They'll put what they would do down on paper for like a hundred, hundred and fifty bucks. Um, there's lots of there's lots of divorce lawyers. Um, you know, you get a couple free consultations, why not? Um, shop around and and make sure you know if you do hire someone, hire someone you have a good rapport with and um, and that you trust. And but yeah, talk to a lawyer. It's it, you know like I've said a couple times, it's so fact dependent. So much of this uh, that the best thing you can do is talk to a lawyer, even if it's just that free thirty minute consultation and they can guide you. Uh, you know, hey, this is what you'll need to do. This is what you'll need to file. Here's where you can find you know here's the um, the rules for this court. Here are the local rules that you have to be aware of. Yeah, I've seen some of them. They will give you, California is very form heavy in mm -hmm. family law and there will be attorneys who it's, they have the packet. And when you say like, I would love to work with you, but I just can't make it work financially right now. They're like, hey, you need to do something. Here, Here's the packet you need to file to get your divorce started. 
Yep. So the Colorado courts have every single form, not just for family law, but for anything online. So if you go to the Colorado court website and go to self-help forms, everything is there. For uh, family law, they have flow charts. Um, you know, does this, do you have kids? Yes. Do you have no? You know, so that you can, it takes you through the whole thing. And almost every single county has a self-help center that you can go to and they will actually help you fill out and file the paperwork. Yeah, and that's another very positive development. I think there is a couple counties in Cal in Southern California here where they have automated the initial filings. So mm -hmm. you create an account and it just asks you questions and it fills out the forms for you and a couple of the systems you can submit right through there. Like yeah. you put your credit card information and you submit right there. So, cause I know it's California, it, it can be a mess. It's like, oh, I need to attach, I need to attach FL one, whatever, um, 109 now or whatever it may be. There, there, there are a lot of, a lot of states now have where you can go in and it may not be your county, but you could probably find one where you can just answer questions and then it'll allow you to download the documents. Yeah, well, so in Colorado, like I said, all the forms are online. You can download them either in Word or PDF. Um, and then we use an electronic system called ICCES. We call it ISIS, not the best word. They've tried to get us to stop saying that in court, but old habits die hard. Uh, but pro se litigants for family law cases can register for an account for ISIS and file everything online. Yeah. Wish it was like that in California. There are uh, some counties where it's, uh, at this point, the courthouses aren't open yet, so it's snail mail or fax. Oh, um, a majority of them, there are ways to e-file. Yeah, the only one that is going to require you to go to the courthouse or mail in a document is JV court, which would be paternity actions, typically start in JV court here. Um, and it's because everything's sealed. So ISIS, you can go online, you can buy into cases, and some of the documents are public. Anything that has any sensitive information is going to be sealed by the court. Um, but if you have an ISIS account and you are a party to that action, you can see everything that's filed. You can also serve the other side. So if you're a pro se litigant and you're up against an attorney, there's a section for serve only documents. So if there's letters or information so that you've got a record there, hey, I told this attorney about this 30 days ago or 45 days ago. Yeah, definitely. All right, so as we wrap up here, so you service the Denver metro area in Colorado Springs, correct? Correct, yeah, so, so that's everything from Jefferson County to Adams County down to El Paso, sometimes Pueblo. Um, we've even gone as far north as Weld and Larimer. So anybody who's in Colorado listening will recognize those counties. So if you're in those areas, you're you're in the market looking for representation, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Um, they can get a hold of me through uh, C. Robert Bandino Jr. Um, is the my partner that I work with. Our website is divorcelawyersdenver.net. All right, so divorcelawyers. Denver.net. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay, awesome. We'll, we'll have that in the comments for you guys. Um, if you are in the Denver area and you are Denver metropolitan area or Colorado Springs looking for representation, um, reach out to Heather. Um, I'm sure she'll uh, be able to at least put you in the right direction or you'll be in great hands. So yep. uh, Heather, thank you so much. Sure.
And I can get a phone number too, if if you want a phone yeah, number. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Drop us a phone number as well. Sure, it's 303-931-5516. Perfect, perfect. Okay, we'll drop that in the comments as well too. Um, so you can give her office a call or you can check out the website and get in touch with her there. So Heather, thank you so much for your time um, and all the value you provided to the viewers tonight. Um, and uh, thank you so much. And uh, to the viewers, uh, we'll go back live here. All right, great, thank you. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed tonight's episode with Heather. A lot of value around what's going on in Colorado. Uh, also, we talked about the mental aspects of going through the family court strategy, execution. I hope you enjoyed it. Once again, appreciate Heather for taking the time to be able to film that last week. Uh, next week, we'll, we will be going back live with our episode. We will be having Houston, Texas attorney Cassandra Daniels on the show. So uh, if you're a father in Texas, definitely a must watch next week uh, where we'll be talking specifically about the state of Texas and all of the different things that are going on down there right now. I know it's been an adventurous state over the last two to three months in terms of legislation. So we'll have Cassandra on next week. Thank you all for watching, and uh, we will see you next Thursday on State of the Family Courts.